In 2010, 40,000 people were surveyed about the impact that reading the Bible had in their life. And the ages of the people that went through the survey were between the ages of 8 and 80. So obviously it's covering a pretty large uh, span of people's ages. And 40,000 people are a pretty good sample for a survey. And they discovered that if you read the Bible once a week, there was no impact in your life. If you read the Bible two times a week, there was no impact in your life. If you read the Bible three times a week, there was a small smidgen of impact in your life. But if you read the Bible four times a week, there was a tremendous impact on people's lives. Matter of fact, in that study, they found out that feeling lonely dropped by 30% of those who read the Bible four times a week. Anger issues dropped 32%. Bitterness in relationships dropped 40%. Alcoholism dropped 57%. Sex outside of marriage dropped 68%. Feeling like you're in a spiritual rut, a spiritual stagnancy, dropped by 60%. Dealing pornography dropped by 61%. Sharing your faith jumped 200%. Wow. And discipling other people jumped 230%. So if you're the pastor of a church, right? And the Lord has commissioned you, assigned you to cause people to share their faith and disciple others, you're going to do what? You're going to do all you can to encourage people to read the Bible at least four times a week to give you the red words of Jesus and pray for the power. You can read the book of Philippians every day for four for 30 days and do it at least four or five times a week. You can do the Bible recap. That's a good deal. You can do that. But do it every single day. If you do, keep up with it. You can read three chapters a day. You can read two chapters a day. But study it. Read it. You can just pour it in one chapter and write it all out and ask yourself questions. And just let it permeate in your heart. However you do it, it doesn't matter. It didn't say how you study the Bible. It didn't say how you read the Bible. It didn't say what kind of translation it was. It didn't say what the, what the, what the package is like. It just said that if you read the Bible at least four times a week, there will be a spiritual explosion that happens in your life. Show the picture of Gertrude, please. That's Gertrude in the middle, and that's Joseph, that's a little fellow. Let me share with you his testimony. Five years ago in Uganda, Gertrude had a baby who has Down syndrome. When Joseph was born, the dad said, you might as well bury him because he is dead to me. He left and never came back. 
There she already had two children, a small child with special needs now. She traveled to the Mopala to try and find work to care for her family. The older children were left behind to be looked after by their grandma. There was no money for school, so they spent their days farming. Gertrude had a hard time in Nepal with labors, finding odd jobs, and feeding Joseph. She moved around several times and eventually moved right across from the Elizabeth Boys' workshop. She would leave every day and wash clothes for a little bit of money. She could wash for 12 hours and receive a dollar fifty. I can't do the math, but I think that's 15 cents an hour. We saw Joseph running around every day and started to develop a relationship with Gertrude. COVID happened, and she wasn't able to do the odd jobs anymore because of the strict rules. If you donated money during the COVID lockdown, you helped feed Gertrude and Joseph. When the restrictions led up, Gertrude was desperate to go and check on her older children. They didn't have a phone or any way to communicate. She traveled to the village, and when she arrived, she found out her mom had passed away the year before, and the children were fending for themselves. Niger and Peter were being used as slave labor by some of the local people, so they could have a small amount of food each day. Gertrude was heartbroken and brought them back to Kampala. This was a few years ago, and they both had been attending school ever since. We were worried they wouldn't be able to catch up. A few weeks ago, Peter took his test. He needed to advance to secondary school. So get your eyeballs on Peter there on the left. There he is. So he took his test to check out how he was going to advance to secondary school. Remember, they were worried about him being able to catch up because he had missed so much school in his life. How you score on this test determines what schools you can attend, and even if you can keep going. I am so pleased to say that Peter scored number one in his whole school and has his pick of schools. He said he will be a doctor and take care of all of us. I bet he does it. I bet he does it. The Bright Futures Fund, our education fund, has made Peter's Bright Future possible. Thank you for all of your support and donations. Praise God for bringing her to to our doorstep. Thank the Lord Jesus today for that. That's a testimony. Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. The Word of God is teaching us how we handle conflict within the church. Last week, Philippians 1, verses 27 to 30 taught us how we deal with conflict that comes from outside the church. So how do we deal with weird people? <laughs> how do we deal with people who are hard to get along with? How do we deal with cantankerous people? 
How do we deal with knuckleheads? How do we deal? I remember many, many years ago, driving through Staten I 20, I love their sign. It talks about how many people live there. It says like 3,500 people live in Staten and a few old soreheads. Every church has got some people that are hard, hard to get along with. Let me see. I'll pick them out for you. I'll call them out for you. This week, I, I watched a documentary. It was called The Greatest Night of Pop. And, and many of you youngsters may not realize, but in the 1980s, uh, Ethiopia was really in a bad way because of famine. They had no food. It was a difficult situation. And Lionel Richie, you may have heard of Lionel Richie, uh, the soloist, and before that, he was with the Commodore. Let me tell you something, them Commodores can break. It was some good stuff back in the 70s and the early uh, 80s, perhaps. And Lionel Richie, Steve Warner got together and said, You know, we can do something about what's happening in Africa, especially, specifically Ethiopia, with the famine they had. So they got together and they, they thought about what it would be like if, if they could get. Many, many singers would come together and sing a song, and then they would sell the song, and of course, the promise they get from the song that he used to send to Ethiopia to help feed the people, and also they could use it as a fundraiser. And so they got together, the hardest, one of their hardest challenges was at dates. How could they get all these singers to be available on a certain date so they could learn the song? And, and so they chose to do it after what I think we would call the Grammys, perhaps, or the American Music Award, or something like that. So after that, Lionel Richie just happened to be hosting that event that evening. And so after the award show was over, they all go to the secret studio and they'll sing their song. The second challenge they had was a song. <laughs> they had a song. And then really, and, and, and Lionel Richie and Stevie Wonder and Quincy Jones, the great musician and producer and director of music, they all worked really hard to write that song. And in just a little time, they came together with a song that they called We Are the People. Now, we are the world. <laughs> we are the people of the world. I see you over there. You will not receive fruit of that. <laughs> yes, we are the world. Thank you for the correction. It was so gentle of a correction. I appreciate it. Yes. Quincy Jones, the director of it, he, he realized that he was going to have a room full of some real big egos. And they had to get the song done that night. That from like 11 o'clock after the show was over until whenever, before people started leaving the next morning, they had to get the song done. And I've never done a song, and I don't know how it works, but they said that's a hard thing to do. And so Quincy Jones was thinking about how the world are going to be able to crowd and handle all those egos. And so he sat down and he had written, is that wrote? Thank you. He hand wrote a song, a sign, and then the sign said, he put it right over the door, and the sign said, check your egos at the door. Good idea. Lionel Richie, Steve Wonder, Michael Jackson, 
Paulson, oh, Paulson, Hughes, good old dude. Willie Nelson was there. William Jenkins was there, he got tired of lift. <laughs> Diane Warwick, Harry Belafonte, Ken Carter, Hall Oates, Bruce Springsteen, the boss was there. Diane Ross, Jan Perry, Billy Joe, Cynthia Lauder. Anybody care for Cynthia Lauder? I didn't think so. Oh, come on, you don't like Cynthia Lauder. <laughs> Kenny Rogers and Bob Dylan were just a few of the stars that are there at night. A lot of egos in that room. And they began to say, let's work real hard together. Let's work, let's work together well. Let's share your egos at the door. We have to get this done, and, and we've got to be really, we've got to work well with each other. We've got to handle conflict inside the room, in other words. And they were doing fairly well with this. There's a few differences of opinion about the song and how it worked. But in the chorus, we are the world. We are the children. We are the ones to make a brighter day. So let's start giving Right? I sang that I could have been in that room. They argued. Some did. Not all did. Paul Simon, he didn't argue about it. I could tell he was disgusted with the arguing. Huey Lewis didn't argue much. He was pretty easy to get along with. Bruce Springsteen, he didn't argue very much. He was good with it all. But a bunch of them argued. And you know what they argued about? We are the ones to make a brighter day, so let's start giving. They argued about the word brighter. And their argument was, a bunch of the people in the, in the, in the group, in the studio, they wanted to use the word better and not brighter. And when I started watching that, I realized I'd already studied a little bit on Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, and I just started dying laughing. They were having a church business meeting in the, in the studio. They're arguing about better or brighter. Men, women, they mean the same thing. It doesn't change this verse whatsoever. We are the ones to make a better day, so let's start giving. We are the ones to make a brighter day, so let's start giving light gray, brown, Light gray, brown, light gray, dark gray, light gray, dark gray, white. Light brown, deeper brown, big brown. Better, brighter. That is exactly what happens in the body of Christ. We argue about better or brighter. You've got to be kidding me. No one's going to ever know that it was meant to be brighter. Change it to better. Or get over yourself, just sing brighter. Who cares? They mean the same thing. We're going to make a difference in Ethiopia, and we're going to raise money, and we're going to feed these starving people. It's going to be a better day, and it's going to be a brighter day. You've got to be kidding me. There was groups on one side of the studio, on another side, on another side of the studio. You know what they're arguing about? Better or brighter. If you ever catch yourself in a better or brighter conflict in the body of Christ, slap someone upside the head. And we've all been in a few of those better or brighter conflicts, haven't we? And we're about the gospel. You got to be kidding me. Singers, 
singers. Michael Jackson was one of them, and he wrote the brighter word. Michael, get over yourself. Michael, you crazy. Something wrong with you, Michael. In lots of ways, something was wrong with Michael Jackson. <laughs> something was wrong. I don't know what it was. was wrong. I mean, come on, get over that. Isn't the goal to share the food with the people? Isn't the goal to have a song that you can sell and make money off? Isn't it a song that you can use to help raise money? Church, isn't it about the gospel? Isn't it about sharing the, the gospel of Christ? Isn't it about making a difference in our world? Now, they believed they were going to make a difference in their world by feeding people. We're all about that. We believe we are to make a difference by feeding people. But we also understand that more important than feeding people is sharing the good news of people. And churches get locked in conflict because of better or brighter. Brighter, brighter or better. So let's see if we can learn from this. Let's see if we can sing it first. Okay, stay with you. Now, you guys that really sing, sing this. So, where's our girl singers? They were really good this morning. They can come real quick. Just one. Come on. Someone that can sing the song. Come on. We got, we only got 20 more minutes. We got to get her done before the, before the, the deals open. Somebody, somebody, somebody can sing. Come on, Sharon. There you go. I just want to hear it. Oh, you can sing it. Thank you. Oh. No, we're just going to sing, we are the world, we are the ones to, we are the world, we are the children, we are the ones to make a brighter day, so let's start giving. One, he, Matt didn't know about it. <laughs> Go ahead. Ladies only. We are the world. We are the children. We are the ones to make a brighter day. So let's start giving. Men only. We are the world. We are the children. We are the ones to make a brighter day. So let's start. Everybody. Yeah, there we go. All right. Okay. Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. Rhetorical. Rhetorical question. So, go back to what I've just said how to get along with people outside the, God, the, the church. So, moving forward, that's what he's saying here in the first part of verse 1. So, if there is any encouragement in Christ, and the answer is, there most certainly is. That's what Paul is saying here. If there is any comfort from his love, and there most certainly is. Is there participation in the Spirit, and there most certainly is. Any affection from the Lord? Yes, there most certainly is. And is there any sympathy from the Lord? There most certainly is. Jesus is at work among God's people. That's what Paul wants us to understand. 
Paul wants us to understand that we must focus first on what Jesus is doing in the bride, in the body of Christ. He is at work giving encouragement. He is at work comforting with love. He is at work in the body of Christ through the Spirit. There is participation in the Spirit. In the Holy Spirit, we are taught, we are guided, we are comforted, we are, we are given insight, we are given understanding. The Holy Spirit helps us know how to pray. And the Holy Spirit helps bond our love, bond our relationships, helps grow our love. It helps to give us things like patience, peace, gentleness. And we are to be growing in those areas. And, and, the, and, and the Lord Jesus is at work giving us affection. He cares for us. And he is at work giving us sympathy. Our high priest, the Holy, the, the Holy Lord, Jesus Christ himself, he understands when we go through hard times. He knows it. He understands. He sympathizes with us when we go through hard times. And we need to understand that. And so, moving forward and relating with others in the body of Christ, we first keep in mind the Lord Jesus is at work. He loves the church. He gave his life for the church. The church are very important to Jesus. It's the church that Jesus designed. It's the church that he's the Lord over, the head over. And, and, and the church is the, is the body. It's the instrument, instrument that Jesus has to take the gospel into all the world. And he wants the church to be healthy and so we've got to know how to deal with conflict inside the church. And he says, first of all, recognize that Jesus is at work. I reckon if we focus on what Jesus is doing and we just let go what others are doing, we'll probably have a, a, a healthy church. We'll probably have a church with, with any conflict that we have. It'll be just not too much won't have an impact on us if we stay focused on the Lord Jesus and what he's doing because we're not going to want to get in way of what Jesus is doing. And so verse 1 basically says, get out of the way, Jesus is at work. Get out of the way, Jesus is at work. Verse 2, Paul says, make me happy. Complete my joy. Paul says, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Paul says, I'll be happy. My joy will be complete if y'all are one. If you are one mind, if you are one heart, if you are one of one spirit. Paul said, it makes me happy when, when I hear about the Philippians working together, serving together, striving together, and, and being like he said in verses 27 through 30, they're standing with conviction, they're standing side by side, they're standing with courage, and they're standing strong, regardless of differences, regardless of differences. Now, the Philippian church is no different than our church. It was full of different kinds of people. Every church is full of different kind of people. We've got to learn. We keep our eyes on Jesus. We let him do what he's doing. We stay out of his way, and we strive to be of one heart, one mind, standing together for the cause of the gospel. The cause of the gospel is more important than our opinions. The cause of the gospel is more, imp 
important than what we've experienced. It's more important than, than what we want, than we, what we want. So Paul says, come on now, make me happy. Verses 3 and 4, look at these verses. Verse 3, do nothing, nothing. Do we do something? No. Do nothing from selfish ambition. Now, he's not talking about just the generic ambition. It's okay to have ambition, right? It's all right to have healthy ambition. But he says, do not have selfish ambition. Selfish ambition does not bring unity. We are not to promote ourselves. The pastor is not to parade around as the Lord of the church. Members are not to parade around as the important people, and everyone else is less important. There is to be no selfish ambition. We unite together for the sole purpose of pleasing the Lord Jesus Christ. So there can be no selfish selfish ambition. And then he uses the word conceit. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Conceit is thinking too highly of yourself, of having an excessive self-interest and uh, just an overwhelming self-preoccupation. If you sit around and you think about you most of the time, you're probably in a warning zone. If you experience lots of conflict, you probably are conceited. If you are in a situation where you're always getting your feelings hurt, you're probably conceited. If you spend a lot of unnecessary time thinking about people that don't reward you for how great you are, you're, you're conceited. If you're people that aren't considered, you know, part of a team, you don't work well with others, you're probably conceited. This definition could easily be just translated empty glory. That's the dictionary. The dictionary definition of conceit is an excessively favorable opinion of one's own ability. I'm so good. Man, I'm not good. Y'all look at me. I'm so good. Don't you just love it? I'm just, I'm just the best. I just got it going on. I mean, I'm, I got everything I need to have. I got all the skills. I got the brain. That's conceit. When we live with a feeling that we are so important, we're so able, we're so talented, we're out of God's will. We are working against the unity that Paul pleaded with the Philippians and all the Christians to have. So he says, do nothing out of selfish ambition. Do nothing out of conceit. So you need to think about the motivation for what you're doing. And if the motivation for what you're doing is selfish or full of conceit, then you need to back away as a God's child. And then look what he says here in verse 3. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but, but he, he's telling us here how to do it. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. 
That's how it happens. That's how it works. That's how a church is healthy. That's how we are able to manage conflict well. And conflict doesn't get in the way of the cause of the, of the gospel in the church. In humility, count others more, more significant than yourselves. Now, so that's, this is how that would look if we all do that. If I consider you above me, and you consider me above you, then a, a marvelous thing really takes place here. We have a community where everyone is looked up to. That's unity. Disunity is when some are looked down on. That's not pleasing to our Lord. That's not pleasing to him. No one is to be looked down on in God's church. Even the cantankerous, even the hard to get along, we are to consider them as more important than us. And maybe the Holy Spirit would get a hold of them and knock some of those rough edges off. Then the next verse, verse 4. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. It's almost like after saying, you know, in humility, count others more significant than you, he's clarifying a little bit. Or he's not saying here that we do not need to be concerned with our interests. Obviously, we're concerned with our interests. It's how we live. That's how we work. That's how we relate. There's no question about that. We are to be concerned with our interests, but not at the exclusion of other people. We are not to be only concerned with our own interests, and we're leaving the interests of other people out. And so we're concerned by ourselves, but never more out of balance, and we are concerned with the needs of other people. It's outside-focused. It's outside-focused. Better or brighter, not an issue. Because I'm not thinking of myself more important than I should, and I'm considering the needs of others with balance concerning the consideration of my own interests. I miss Dean Glenn. Many of you today probably don't know Dean Glenn. Dean and Bernice were wonderful, wonderful people, and they're with the Lord now. Every time I drive down Highway 51 and drive by the Spring Creek Baptist Church Cemetery there, I can't help but think about Dean and Bernice. And one thing that Dean always did, Dean was one of our leaders here, and, and what Dean would do near, nearly after most meetings that we'd have in, in, in time of prayer, he would just very briefly, very calmly, uh, very uh, kindly say, you know, fellas, the most important thing is that we are doing all we can to have a healthy church. He said we are all doing our part to have a healthy church. And, and to me, he was always saying it doesn't really matter what we're talking about here in our meeting if we're not willing to have a healthy church. 
It doesn't really matter what decisions we make if we're not loving each other, which is true. It doesn't really matter, you know, how we do things or why we do things if we lose sight of the Lord's work among us and we're just striving to be who Jesus wants us to be. Verses 1 through 4 teach us how to have a healthy, healthy church. He says, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation of spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord, one. That's what that means, full accord. Not filling up a Honda, but full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Each of you, let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interests of others. It's about the gospel. The gospel is Jesus died on the cross to pay the price of our sins. He was buried and then three days later, he rose from the grave. As we believe in him, we are forgiven of all our sin. And we are completely right with God. And we should live as a response to what Jesus has done for us. Help us, Heavenly Father, to live as your children to live in unity, to live as one, to stand together, to help each other for the cause of Jesus, for the spread of the gospel, to promote these testimonies that happen so often, to realize that we are the world, we are the children, and when we give of ourselves, we make a brighter day. Thank you for that ministry of reconciliation we have in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Ushers, please come forward.